This is a Hive Mind Studio production. Hello, gods and goblins, deities and deviants, and my fellow what the fucks. You're listening to Playing with Advantage, an informative podcast with the various aspects of the tabletop role playing genre. I am Kenneth Moffat, aka the Southern GM, and with me are the other two of the three caballeros, James the Hive Master Bardwell. Hello, how are you doing? I am doing very well. And the shadow to our to our light, the one, the only, the Dark Lord himself, Brody. No amount of cleansing rituals can get rid of me. That's good to know, Brody. I will put the bleach away then. We've been a little bit uh, a little bit hectic over the uh, the holiday break. Um, sorry it took us so long, but uh, we are back and we are better than ever. Uh, so. Today, our topic of conversation is one that can be broached from many different areas, be it from the, uh, the stats, from the more like personal experiences, the more even artistic and thespian side of things, and that is character creation. Now, when we say character creation, we literally mean the various ways that before you actually get into a role-playing game, you have to have some idea of the character you're going to play. Now, there are examples of pre-made characters and kind of going into like a uh, one-shot where like in the Aliens, you have a certain selection of characters already made for you. But what we'll be discussing is kind of the overview of tips and tricks that we use when we want to create the various characters that we play in whatever role-playing game we're playing in. Yeah, I know like for me, when I make a character, most of the time I start from the motivations part of it. I'm not very mechanically inclined. I have also, I mean, gotten myself into a bind with that before. Because I'll have an idea of the character I want to play, uh, and then when I get to the mechanics part of it, it doesn't exactly line up with kind of what I was doing. So, like, there's a lot of merit towards starting with the mechanics. But for me, to play a character in a game, I really enjoy, like, picking somebody out of media and kind of developing a personality around that. Character creation is, like, one of the funnest aspects of uh, a tabletop game to me, and that you get to brainstorm and come up with whatever concept and idea you have for making your character. It's like the pregame to the game. Yeah. Like my backstories for me, like getting those motivations laid out. That's one of my favorite part of playing D and D. And it's not even really like you do that before you start the game. Yeah. See, and I, I, I come at it where the, I have a, usually have a kind of a generic backstory and then my character's motivations are things that I build as the game progresses. So that's the thing. There are many different ways you can come to and look at character creation. That's we're going to go over the various ways that we kind of view them. But I think we can all agree that fifth edition probably has some of the more streamlined statistics and like in the book wise, the most streamlined of any sort of character creation of the editions before it, because it focuses more on like the role play aspect. Whereas in first and second edition of D and D, you literally rolled your stats in order and that determined what you were going to play. Whereas, like in fifth edition, you can you can say, "Cool, I want to play this," and then you can you know uh, appoint your stats accordingly. Now, when we say appoint your stats, there are several ways that you actually get the numbers that your character will be based off of. the The top three are rolling dice for it, uh, point by or standard array. I personally myself, I am more of a fan of the standard array because it usually allows for a more level and balanced party. Uh, for instance, in the, the game that me and James play in, your character Theseus has some like um, uh, has some really decent, amazing stats. Like even without your magical uh, your items, Artie not so much. 
I, I have one really bad dump stat, which is strength, but I, I was given a magical item pretty early in the game that kind of helped me past that. I have the opposite. I have one really good stat, which is my wisdom for a cleric, and everything else is like under 12. It's not great. Yeah, but you really lean into that wisdom stat because you've done you've had some just powerful yeah. turns in the game before. Yes. Like so powerful that they instead of just the mechanics, they lean over into role play. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think spiking a stat's not a bad idea. It for one, it kind of helps define roles in the group. Um, and that is important, like when you're going into a game. So spiking a stat helps with that. Um, whereas kind of the even across the board can get a little muddled when you're trying to decide who's doing what, or you may just get left out of things because there's no place where you shine. So I'm for spiking a stat. Okay, that's fair enough. What do you mean by spiking a stat? So when you try to make sure that um, one stat is as, as good as you can get it, um, even sometimes like at the expense of having mostly lower-end stats for the rest of your character stuff. Okay. Um, it, it happened a lot um, before I was playing with you. We, we always rolled. For our stats, right? Mm, we've never B- rolled before. I started playing with you. Oh, before, I did. That's right. Um, but when I started playing with you, you had us do point by, and I was so upset about it to begin with. But now <laughs> I like I I almost won't do rolled stats anymore, just because the point by kind of helps everybody stay on the same field. Because it sucks when you're the guy at the table who had a really crappy roll for your stats, and then everybody else has got good stats. Yes, yes, it is pretty crappy. Uh, but actually, I, I, I have done point by a couple of times. I do like that again because technically, if you think about it, you all have the same starting point. You have the same number of yeah. points, but you're just getting to choose where you put them, which yeah. is kind of what like standard array does. But you get it's it's not as as spiked as you would say. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I I have to say that rolling is my least favorite because I have had games where literally like one person did not roll under a fourteen. And the other person, we had to kind of, you know, jerry-rig their stats to get them above a 13. Yeah. Now, I've seen uh, where people have said on, like, uh, tabletop communities where uh, rolling dice, they'll let one person roll for the whole table. And I'm like, well, that seems a little... But it's usually the luckiest person there, and they'll end up with, like, four 18s and a 16 and, you know, whatnot. But I have seen. We haven't mentioned George in a while on this podcast. (laughs) I wonder what he's been up to. Probably uh, loading his dice. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) I have seen where they the whole table roll roll stats like you would for whatever mechanics are required for rolling stats, and they'll use the um, whoever has the most. um, I wouldn't necessarily say balanced, but the most. I don't know what the word to use there. I guess the most fair one. Like there's not too high or too low, yeah. and then everybody takes those. And I'm like, oh, that's that's interesting. that's interesting. Seth, the game we just started playing with him on Thursdays, he he let us do a fun thing. Like rolling dice for your stats is fun. Yeah. And like that's kind of the main attraction to doing that. You know, it's fun to roll your stats and see if you can get some really cool <laughs> rolls. Um, but if your stats suck, he allowed us to have the option to do a uh, standard array. That, I like that. That's cool. Cause so, I, I mean, you're not totally screwed. It's like it's my like when when they when, uh, when my level up rule is you roll your uh, you roll your health with advantage, even if you still don't get your your halfway your mid number, you can just take your mid number instead. I see. I like that a lot. I like it when when the DMs do. Yeah, because I I am very much a I make I often say one of my rules is no matter what it seems like when we're playing. I am on your side. I am never going to be against you. I want you to, 
if you guys die, I've got to rewrite my story, and that that's annoying, okay? So I want you guys to win. So I'm going to try to rule in your favor as much as possible, like in initiatives. If my players tie with an NPC for initiative, player takes advantage, that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now, I think the most common way, talking about like rolling for numbers, is I think it's uh, 46, and you drop your lowest number. You can re-roll ones or two. That's, that's the most common way I've seen it. Uh, I've also seen hard mode where you roll a D20, and that's your stat. When I first started playing, it was the stats are in this order. You roll the dice, and what number you roll yeah. goes in that yeah. order. Yes. Uh, and that was rough because, you know, a lot of times I didn't want to play a character with high intelligence because that's hard for me, <laughs> you know? Or the flip side, I wanted to be a barbarian. I got an eight in strength. Yeah. It, it, it was rough. We threw away a lot of sheets of papers. Like, well, that guy just died because I don't like him. Yeah. <laughs> Death <laughs> in character creation. Yep. <laughs> See, that's, and I like where in 5e, again, you get more of the freedom to assign your things. Because, again, in, in 5th edition, it's about, I, sometimes I'll say it's almost like like 40% statistics and then 70%, you know, role play, rule of cool type stuff, for my table at least. Uh, you know, because I'm always a big fan of, you know, technically that's not, but you know what? Right now it makes sense. Sure, I'll allow it. Go for it. It's great. You, you, you know, and you can find ways to bend and, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh now we talk. It's kind of a quick overview of the of the mechanics of of stat building of character creation. Uh, normally, in the end, it's like every DM has their own kind of favorite. Uh, if I'm trying to like a quick game, uh, I'll go for you know standard array that kind of stuff. I've been trying to lean more occasionally. I want to try to do more into point by, but I've just seen I've just seen so many power variations in rolling, and I've even seen the what I call the dishonest. Character yeah. maker, yeah. where he'll come and nothing is under a sixteen. You you mean to tell me you you rolled all eighteens? Yes, yes, I did. Okay, cool, that's great. Which is why a lot of DMs make the rule: you roll your dice in front of in me. In front or, of yeah. me, yeah. Something that I, I I thought was unique because of the way I approached building characters. You know, like from the actual character yeah. standpoint forward, um, I play a lot of one shots with Brody, uh, and. A lot of those are with pre-made characters, which was kind of difficult for me to begin with. But then I, I kind of found a, a way for that to be enjoyable for me. Um, I would play the character, and when something happened in the game where I had to make a decision about that person's character, I would make that decision, and that would be locked in in my mind yeah. as part of the character then. you know. And then you go forward, and you let that affect the rest of your decisions. It's kind of like a combination lock. You know, every now and then you'll lock something in, and that's just part of who that guy is there. Like the old choose-your-own-story adventures. Yeah, yeah, a lot like that. That's basically how I go towards making characters. Wow, and then I ask so much insight. <laughs> really? I'm not going to I mean, the last one where uh, the, the Xenomorph game, uh, where I got in trouble because, you know, some of the other party may have died, um, <laughs> and some NPCs because of my guy. Uh, yeah, that's what was going on there. Like, you, you put us a decision down and be like, all right, well, this is part of who I am now. See, I I will admit when I do, I do a similar thing, but I'm the kid that when I was reading the Choose Your Own Adventures, I kept my finger at the place. Oh, the yeah, book I dog eared the page. So I could jump back and redo it. So, like, for my, my uh, uh, Sergeant Blackstone, my guy during that, his whole thing, his motivation was he's protecting the crew. Well, a lot of times, my idea of who the crew was would change back and forth. Right there at the end, Captain, you decided to shoot a member of who I thought was my crew. They were trying to kill me. That means that you were no longer part of my crew. 
So I didn't. So that whole yeah, there's there's this whole like kind of back and forth with you. That yeah. I still love. I think you have the that your comeuppance was the best moment. It was. The, like, it was, was. The guy was kind of an ass. He deserved it, but like it was a part of the game. You because know, it was, I was I was happy with the way that played out. Because every every aliens movie has that moment. Well, you're like, there's no way the asshole is going to live. Like, haha, guys, I'm about to leave. I shut the escape pod and. Yep. Yes. We had that moment in our game. It was very cinematic. Um, it was much like a theater experience. Yes. That whole game was. I enjoyed the heck out of like, it. I sit there, I'm like, oh, that, and props to you, Brody. Just bravo. Well, well told story. The, the immersion was amazing. Yes, I will. I will go with the Kronos anytime you want me to. I love to run cinematic style in my games. Yeah, it definitely felt like that. Pretty much all of the Xenomorph games we've played. And I, I think that goes to character creation. Yes. Like the, the mechanics are super important because you want to be able to do the things your character would do. But on the flip side of that, creating a character. Now, when you're talking about uh, one shots in particular, uh, I, a lot of things that I do now is I will, yeah, a lot of the characters are pre-made but I don't give them a name or any backstory. I got into where I let my players do that. So when they sit down at the table, they know the character's already made. I tell them this is what the character does, and then they'll go, oh, I want that one. Yeah. And, and I'll tell them, okay, there's no name. You can give them a name. You can give them whatever backstory you want to. And a lot of times it, they'll just roll with it. They'll just come up with something on the fly. Or like in Moffat's case, he had something already planned out. <laughs> but, uh, and if, you know, if somebody's like, well, I don't, I don't know what to come up with on the fly, then you could just fall back on whatever that character yeah, was yeah. originally. Yeah. To me, I, it gives, if it's a pre-made character, like you said, James, you, sometimes you, you don't really feel comfortable doing that because, you know, it, you didn't fully make it, but yeah. given just that little bit kind of gives you a little bit of leeway so that you can say, oh, okay, well, I can kind of put my own little stamp on this character even though I didn't make it fully. I think a really good DM leaves room for his players to develop their characters. Yes. Period. I, I am very much a... I, I like to to have... Like, whenever I run, especially like a long-term game, I backstories are important because I want to try to work their backstory into the world we're building. So not only does their character feel like it has weight in the world, the world has weight on their character. kind of thing. Yeah. Now, uh... Kind of we segueing it, we've kind of like brushed against the topic that was uh, kind of an interesting question. How much do you think your stats should apply should lead what you do, or your the best way to describe this? Uh, should you go by the stats or the role play more? Like, what do you usually lean more into? So I feel like a lot of people look at that question and it becomes an either or for them. Yeah. And I don't think it's an either or. It's a both and. Okay. Like both those things are viable. I am a character player, so I'm going to always lean towards the character, the role play side of that. However, if you enjoy the mechanics of it and it, and it, it brings you happiness to play that side of the game, play that. Now, I, I, my, my thought always goes to critical role with uh, Travis Willingham's character, Grog. Grog's character had a eight, a negative two modifier to his intelligence. By the statistics, he was he, you know he was under average IQ, you know he he could you know just your thing like you know a young child kind of cognizant ability, but yet there were moments where like Grog would say these very profound things, this kind of stuff, like when he you know you kind of grabbed Keyleth by the antlers and said you know if you'll have a little patience you may that kind of stuff. Well, technically, you know I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna I'll even push my glasses push up the glasses up. <clears throat> Actually, 
if his intelligence is that low, he would not have that kind of wherewithal to to say, you know, well, patiently, that kind of... My thought is that's wisdom, that's not intelligence. That's what I was going to say, fair. That's that, that is not an intelligence-based uh, reaction to something. That is a wisdom-based. Well, my, uh, that's actually... Yeah, that's, that's correct. But the, the whole thing is that... Because I... I don't like to play, you know, low intelligence uh, characters. I love it. Be, because I can't. I'm always the one going, okay, guys, here's the plan kind of thing. And then smiling, somebody goes, dude, your character is like a minus two intelligence. Okay, fine. Out of game. Here's what I think we should do. So that that's very interesting for me because I've ran across this issue in several different characters in different stat blocks. Yeah. One is definitely the low intelligence character. My favorite character I've ever played, Butcher, in the Stagande game. Very low intelligence, good wisdom. Yes. And, like, I had to, like, Butcher was dumber than me, right? <laughs> um, that's saying something. So I had to play this guy like an idiot, but I had to use his wisdom and, like, his caring charisma yeah. to kind of get the things across that would normally be, like, intelligence-based. I had to look at it from a wisdom standpoint. A lot of the times, though, I think the issue like that falls into the charisma stat block. Yeah. Because you'll have a high charisma place person with using that as their dump stat because they're just going to cheat that in with yeah. their own charisma and vice versa. I feel bad for the vice versa because they they want to do things, but the they, charisma doesn't necessarily translate to what it is in the game, right? And the DM often winds up prompting those people. So that's a place where I think playing the the role versus playing the stat is difficult. Yes. I, I, my my dump stat that I usually go to is dexterity because I always enjoy playing the, the big, I mean, I'm a paladin. I play the big, beefy, charismatic paladin that, okay, cool, I tripped. You're going to hit me? Huh, you missed. Now here I'm coming at that kind of, you know. I almost always either dump intelligence or uh, strength. One of those two. I, I've you know already done so. Yeah, strength is one I don't mind. Dumb, but I, I want to keep my my intelligence, my wisdom, and my charisma as my higher stats because I mean, that's me. The, I, yeah. it's, it's it's naturally who I am. Like, I think it's smart to build your character around what you're good at. Too. Yes, you know, I mean, and that that's maybe you know a little meta or whatever. But sometimes, a lot of times, that results in better gameplay. So the the character in, in, that we play in Jeff's game, Artie, he is he's kind of a newer thing because like he's. High wisdom, middle char- charisma, and it's I'm having to take a step back and at the, all the time going, okay, so what what is the appropriate reactions here? Whereas just acting as myself. Now the like the the because you know the, the thespian in me, the actor in me, I find that it's it's it's, it's amazing to stretch and you know it's coming to, across great to so. move, to move out of your your comfort zones. The the veteran the role player in me is like just. just just do this thing. Don't worry about. It. Just do this. Thing. Like, no, I have to do that. It's 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 interesting trying to you know adjust the two. Mm-hmm. I think going off of what James said, if you're a, a player who cares more about um, the character side of things, then your stats should be a reflection of that, so that you're yeah. you're yes. playing into what you want your strengths and weaknesses to be for that character, so that like you said before. Defining the roles of the party is is super important when you make characters. Yes, I um, misstepped um, making Cash in the current Stagande game, yeah. and I made him more of a rogue. Uh, yeah. according to my stats and no. stuff. Yes. Yeah, according to my stats and stuff, he's more of a rogue. But the things I wanted to do were charismatic oriented. I was kind of lusting after that combat ability I could get from the gotcha. rogue. So I, I we we went through some stuff and I kind of rerolled a little bit of that and went uh, eloquence part instead just because it's more of what I was trying yeah. to play. 
Like I wasn't happy with the effect I was getting playing him the other way around. And and I'm really excited about getting back to the game and playing him that way now. Yeah. James kind of, I in the first Tagande campaign when he was playing Butcher, there were moments where I could look across the table and see him physically struggling because he was <laughs> wanting to say something. And he's like, Butcher wouldn't say that. Because I would be like, are you okay? And he's like, I'm just, I'm keeping my mouth shut. There's something I, James, wants to say, but Butcher cannot say because Butcher is not smart enough to come up with that. And then there would be moments where Butcher would just say this, this amazingly profound thing from a, a wisdom standpoint, because it was coming from experience that he, as a character, had already been through. I, I play in a uh, in a Wild Beyond Witchlight module going on right now, and I'm playing uh, I'm playing a half orc character named Tro. His name is Tro because at birth his father threw him off a cliff, and the sea brought him back, so he got to he got to keep. <laughs> My sister sinks didn't do so well. Um, so yeah, that that's but he is that very low and like low intelligence, uh, you know, at plus one charisma, uh, and the thing is that there are times I'm like Moffat is you know where where you know they come up with a plan or something this that and the other, and I I, I I'm guilty of it in character I would say something and then you know the DM would go would would Tro know that though and I have to go that's fair so I I like, damn it damn it <laughs> so I figured out the best way is. I, you know, it's like I ask myself a question. So the question always is, if the question is, uh, what is this? Tro doesn't know it. If the question is, well, how can this apply to our current situation? That is wisdom. That is uh, the application of knowledge. So that I can, I, and I've used it kind of skirt around certain things. Yeah. Like right now we're going to, when we come back next Tuesday for this game, we're in the middle of essentially this big uh, stage and Tro is about to get up there and start singing. Well, again, uh-huh. Tro, Tro only has like a plus one charisma. So I, I kind of have to, you know, because we have some other one higher yeah. charisma stuff. So I have to kind of remember not to play as, but still, I, it's me. I love being charismatic. So, but yeah, it's, it's very, this is my first time where I am playing my stats. And normally I try, I'm like you, I play a character, but I, you know, it's one of those you kind of become more aware of that sometimes, you know, this just grand, grandiose speech and you've got a minus one in your charisma. That's fair. So it's probably the most fun I've had playing against the charisma stat. Uh, Matt and I were in a, a Curse of Strahd game playing uh, brothers. They were, what was it? Was it Blood Hunters or Dampier, Vampire the, the Monster Dampier, Hunters, yeah. something like that? But I had a low charisma. Um, But I, I would come up with these ideas and stuff, and I just had to figure out how to present them in a low charisma manner. And for me, that came across as he's not overly concerned with what other people think about what he's saying or what he's doing. Okay. So when I would say something, I would put it very bluntly. Yeah. You know, and th- that was a lot of fun. Like that's the thing. Trying to find ways to almost like naturally use your your uh, your stats because that that's my whole thing of every character I I play I have ever played even you know even the 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 uh, the lovable oaf of Tro or the kind of you know nervous cowardly you know arty they are aspects of myself. Like they are various, like, you know, Artie is, is the kid I was in high school, the very, like, you know, nerdy, very introverted, you know, didn't want to talk to anyone. I was scared to death of anything with two chromos- two X chromosomes. Uh, it just, you know, that kind of thing. I feel like you really hit the nail on the head right there. Um, anytime you build a character, I think it is, it would behoove you, uh, the word my creative writing teacher used to use, <laughs> it would behoove you 
to find something in you that connects to that character. Yes, behoove. That's when you do what your parents tell you to do. You behoove. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll go with that. Uh, but it gives you a center to go back to when you're not sure what yes. to do. You touch on that aspect that you are familiar with in your own self, and it will help you make that decision, right? Yeah, because uh, even like even in uh, like even in like like actual theater and stuff, because the various when I was in college, there are times where your character you can go so far out in the left field mm-hmm. that you're like just complete, especially like an improv. Yeah, you're just like so far out there that you always like my my teacher would say have have a line, have a have a gesture, have something that you can do to recenter yourself. Yep. And, it's, and even in like, you know, role playing games, I think that's also very, very important because like there have been times where, you know, improv back and forth between players and now suddenly the the, the, the quest line is way over here, but there he's trying to out soliloquy each other. And, you know, it's, it's a battle of monologues and guys focus up, come on, get back. Yeah. We have to get back to this. Like one of the fun part about characters is accents. I know that's something you do a lot of. Uh, Brody does fantastic NPCs. Uh, for me, uh, it was it was not very natural. I had to work at that a little bit, and part of that was coming up with your center line, that phrase or whatever that you say in accent that you can do every time that will bring you back to it. My first one was uh, with cashmere. It's, I intend to have enough fun to need a cleric in the morning. That's my center line. That's where I go with him. <laughs> like slipping on a pair of comfortable shoes. It is. Uh, the blue, the one I use, one of my favorite ones I use is my Scottish accent, and I'm actually... The way my mind works is if I say if I can say the line in my head, I can mimic it. Yeah. And so my Scottish is I'm having a great time. Yeah. And then I just go right into the Scottish accent. And then from Scottish, you can lead into the Irish and just kind of play around that kind of stuff. Yeah. Accents are infectious though. You will wreck a table yep. with accents. That we we have it on camera too. Yes. Of you uh slipping into Irish because of Casey. I, oh my God. I wanted to choke him because it was so hard to stay you away sit from across Irish. from him too. There was one time when I was in college where me and my a friend of mine we loved just doing random accents back and forth, and it was a weekend. We were just uh, we were hanging out and we went to the uh, the commissary to the cafeteria, and we're going back and forth in a Scottish accent. And the lady asked, you know, uh, what is your ID number? And I told her my number in the accent, and I stop. I try to say it again. I'm still in the accent, and I look <laughs> over to Chris. I got a problem, and he looks at me and he goes, and he in the accent went, well, "What's your problem, kid?" <laughs> I can't stop talking. Oh, and it, we had it, we were stuck in that accent. The most fun I have had with that is Xander and I, when we were developing the voices for Rack and Kashmir, we would have one day a week while we were off uh, where we had accent days. And the whole day we spoke in the accent, like me and him, just the whole day together. And I remember we were having an accent day and we decided to go to Wendy's. And without realizing <laughs> what was going on, we both ordered an accent. Right, and I don't know if you've ever heard Xander do the rack accent. I've, I've, um, I've, I've, it's gone. Yeah, I've heard, yeah. So uh, it it was impactful, and we got up to the window, and the lady's like, "Hey, was like, <laughs> was like, calm down. He's underage. Give me that hamburger." <laughs> Which because I think I love Xander. Like your your son is not physically like menacing. No, and that that rack voice he drops it in the baritone and just it's. <laughs> I remember the first time he did it. Was it? Was it you, Matt, that was like adjusting the volumes because you thought it was Casey and like his volume was like graveled out? And then he realized it was Xander and he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> he dropped like several octaves and that uh, just came out of nowhere. Kind of like just kind of off top. Is there, is there an accent that you cannot do or that you wish you could do? 
Oh, sh- me specifically? Yeah. Like just um, any, any, because mine, mine is I cannot do a Welsh accent to save my life. I can't. I would like to do Australian, but I can't stay in it, and, and I just I mess it up. And I slip into straight British, which you know isn't too far off from the money. Australia, but Australian accents, almost a British accent. You, the way I do my Australian accent is I talk like a water gum in the back of my throat, and you kind of talk at the side of your mouth, mate. And so this is kind of the Australian accent that I use a lot. It's more of Somebody actually told me this is kind of, they gave me the, the actual region that this kind of sounds like. But yeah, this is how I do the Australian accent. And you're very right. It is easy to switch into the British accent from this. Get the Queen's British and then you go into the Cockney mic. And it's just very, very, yeah. So yeah. I'll probably <laughs> say one of my favorite accents to do is the Cockney accent. Shine your shoes, Governor. <laughs> uh, that comes from my British friend. So shout out to him. <laughs> <laughs> they will probably hate us for yeah. every one of these accents. As a little. So- <laughs> I would like to point out too that um, it is perfectly fine if you can't do an accent and oh, yes, you, you're yes. not comfortable oh, doing yeah. that. But if you want to, lean into it. Yeah. Have fun with it. As long as it's you know it's safe to do. Yes. Don't do something Again, that's stereotypically bad. One, one of my one of my favorite things that I was ever taught in my acting classes was you can always back off. Like yeah. if like if if you're wanting to be the orc, you know the, the very common. A very common accent for the, like the orcs or half orc is the Cockney accent. Yeah, because stereotypically you think like the big burly, you know, uh, like London ears or you know that kind of stuff. So you just kind of start like this, and you get that's too much. You back off, and you get a little bit more. Still kind of keeping your accent and that kind of, and you just play with like play with accents, play with you know, play with motivations, that kind of stuff. Characters are very multi layered. Like you don't have to. Now I have seen characters that are built off of like one singular motivation. They're great. They can be fun. There was a dwarf. He wanted shiny things. That's it. Mm-hmm. He wanted shiny things. That's all it was. And it, it was fun. But I love where you got these different, like, complex, multi-layered to your characters. And that kind of stuff, you you don't have to have when you first start. Like, people, they, they see Dimension 20. They see Critical Role in these, like, deep, multi-layered characters with these very, like, interlocking and immense and fully fleshed-out backstories that stuff does not happen overnight. No. You have to remember, too, those are professional voice those, actors, yes, too. Yes. Uh, like, it's, it's the whole thing with uh, with when I DM and I do accents and stuff. I didn't just start doing that. Like, I, when I was a kid, my parents would tell you, I would do weird voices all the time. I was a strange and unusual child. Yeah, when I was a kid, one of my heroes was the guy from uh, the Police Academy movies that did all the noises. Oh, Carl Winslow. Carl yeah, Winslow, that's yes. it. Carl Winslow. I loved that guy, and that like he had me running around the house doing all kind of crazy mess. My mine actually, it's also one of my favorite uh, favorite sayings from like back in the forties and fifties. Uh, I loved Mel Blanc, who I actually share a birthday with. That's pretty cool. Yeah, because the saying was back in the day there were twelve people in Hollywood and five of them are Mel Blanc. Because uh, he did like, he did all the Looney Tunes voices. Uh, he was ba- he like any sort of like animal. So he did all. I think they brought him in for the majority of the voices on like Roger Who Framed Roger Rabbit as well. It's like all and him he, and uh, Frank Welker. Yeah, him and Frank. Like and today you got so many different voice actors. But back in the day you didn't like you had like three people. That was it. Yeah. Know? We still have Jim Cummings. Thankfully, do not take Jim Cummings from us. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Frank Welker still voices uh, oh, Freddy God, from yes, uh, yes. Scooby Doo yep. to this day. Yeah, he was uh, the OG voice actor for him. And, and like I, I know a lot of people, you know, talking about who's getting into voice acting. I'm looking into it in various ways and that kind of stuff, audiobooks. Uh, but it's it's fun. To, it is fun to do accents, but you don't have to do accents. No. Like, um, I mean, let's let's look at like uh, Pike from Critical Role. That's just Ashley Johnson talking. Yeah. 
Like she occasionally will like would do, but that's mainly just her voice. Now, something that Ashley does that I do myself because I'm not as good at doing specific accents. I will find a quirk or some kind of mannerism that makes my NPCs unique and lean into that. Yes. Now, yeah. Ashley will do like certain like when she talks like Fern, she's all kind of sultry and a little a little smooth talking. And then Yasha is just kind of monotone. Monotone. And then yeah. Pike. Pike was a, Pike actually. Pike, Pike was a little nasally. A little nasally. Pike. Still love the. Well, there is a family curse. It's diabetes. Uh, <laughs> for for example, whenever I wanted to do Doc Orvidi, I just think about a morgue, and then I go, well, "Who put this body here? I didn't put this body here. Did you put this body here?" <laughs> I lived through that scene. <laughs> I saw that scene. It was great. Oh God. Uh, so what are some other aspects we've talked about, you know, the statistics, we've talked about like the character creation, uh, like the actual, like, you know, like the, the, the physicality, the voice, that kind of stuff. Uh, I think another, another part of character creation that you should think about is how will my character mesh into the story and into the group that I'm coming into? Oh yeah. Uh, it's a little bit easier with a fresh group because you're all kind of unknown and that kind of stuff being pushed into a, an established, that is hard. It's very hard. Like, uh, Beck's character, Finriel, uh, kind of came into an established group, and they have just merged right into it. They are doing great, and it's a shout-out to Beck. Uh, ha- happy happy day of character creation Woo-woo. since, you know, we are talking about that today, so happy birthday to Beck. Uh, but, yeah, and because the thing is you you have those that, the especially newer characters, actually I've seen older characters, older players too, where they have their motivation set, this is my motivation. Nothing is going to change my motivation. You've got to get out of the way for my motivation. As opposed to like, well, how can my motivation fit with it? And I will, even myself, I, you know, I am not above that because in, in Jeff's game, there was the issue where I had my motivations and I didn't want to kind of, you know, move and that kind of stuff. And it led to some, some headbutting, but it was a great group. We took a step back and we talked about it. Yeah. And now the character I play, I love him so much. And Beloved I, by all. Is he, he is just a little soft boy. I love him. Yeah, folks, I'm like 6'1". I'm 33 years old. This big Viking-looking guy. Artie's like 5'4". This little like fluffy, brown-haired Labrador-type yeah. guy. It's, it's great. Uh, but yeah, it's, you have to be able to go, okay, so how can I fit into the narrative and into the group? So... Um I know one of the hardest things about coming into a group is they have synergy already. They have found comfortable places for their characters with each other's characters, right? So when you walk into that, um, you may have a character in mind, but it, it doesn't necessarily have a place yet. Yeah. And it's hard to find that place sometimes, right? And it's not it's not really, I don't think it would be an intentionally thing intentional thing in most parts, but it's still difficult. And like I know that's one of the challenges we faced when we when we did that yeah. that thing with that character, um, and I think we worked through it the best way you possibly yes. could. And the results of everyone coming together as as adults and having conversations and working through that has been amazing. Yes, because Artie is probably the best addition to the game ever. Um, I love how he plays out and interacts <laughs> with all the characters. He certainly has found a place. Yes. That's kind of related to something that I was going to bring up. And like when you sit down and you decide that everybody gets together to make a character, do you do one-on-one with a player so that there's a little bit of like secrecy with like who's going to get played with what? and Or uh, 
everybody sitting down together as a group around the table to make characters and build off of that. I used to do one-on-ones and the reason for that was because there was so much, um, like secrecy, like, you know, I got like stuff in my backstory. I'm going to do this. And, you know, it's a little exciting, but I've kind of gotten to where if I do any games in the future, I, I kind of want to have everybody sit together and build a character that way, because I've all, I've seen where people will play off of each other and they'll, they'll generate ideas yes. just from like, I'm going to play this thing. And it's like, what, Hey, can I be your brother? And like, shoot. <laughs> yeah. And then there's it's just stuff like that. Just going back and forth. So what, what do y'all do in that regard? I, I like doing the, the around the table creation because one, you always have that one player who maybe isn't a strong in character creation and they will have questions, but I like, I, I especially because like that where you go, okay, so I want to do this, this, and this, Hey, that's similar to what I'm doing. Maybe we can mesh our stories together. Now, with the with the advent of technology, and especially with Discord, folks, if I was you, fixing to bring Discord up. If you run a game, if you're in a game, uh, a fire like a, just a, a what we call fireside chat, just a, a Discord group, because that's when you can go, "Hey, Dungeon Master, I know we this is what the table knows, but I want to have this secretly known within my backstory, but I need you to know it because if you, what do you think that kind of stuff? I've got a I can't say but there are a few of those that currently are going on for various games. I, I, you know, hypothetically am running on a live stream. So for me, it comes back to the, this is not an either or issue. Yeah. It's a both and issue again. And I think that's kind of a lot like what you were just yes. talking about. Um, all of the things you get out of everybody around the table only help build synergy amongst the party. It only helps create those relationships between the characters that make the game truly magical. However, I also believe that you should have that one-on-one stuff with the DM, but the Discord's a great place yeah. for that, like Moffat said. So I think both those things need to be incorporated. It's just the one is the magic around the table, and the other one is that Discord deepness that you get to have with your GM. So both and for me. I like the synergy. I like for the party to come in. It's really awkward when you when you sit down at a table and – the beginning is usually kind of the most awkward yeah. because you got to figure out how do these characters meet out of this kind of stuff. If you sat down together and built your characters as a group, you kind of can have that synergy and you, you can watch them make their characters and their, their backstories are kind of being fleshed out. They're generating ideas and then you can go, okay, well I know how to plan this now. I know how to traditional, we, <laughs> well, you met in a tavern and uh, this is where the story begins. Or you do something really crazy and wild, like uh, the city's under attack, and you're just bystanders. And oh, hey, that guy's doing really well. I'm going to go over there and help him. Now, because uh, talking about like ways to start, I this is something I've actually been wanting to ask you since you know I saw the for the the Staganda sagas on on YouTube. Uh, which, by the way, folks, Staganda, um, Scars of Midgard, go watch it. It's great. Seven episodes up, and more coming. Was that the actual first session, or did y'all guys have like a uh, a before session when you got like motivations, character introductions out of the way? Because like it really wasn't the hey who are you what do you do it was oh well you know I'm this person my sister is in the town guard and this kind of stuff and you just were instantly kind of almost like folding them in together. We did a I did something different that I didn't do in the first Agonda campaign. Um, I did a split party session session zero almost basically where I had um, I did two separate. Uh, game mini games so to speak yeah i had james and matt meet up together and that's how they knew each other and kind of hit things off and then i had uh casey xander and ashley 
meet and that's how they kind of knew each other. And then it was easier for me to kind of meld them together that way. Um, it's, I, I wouldn't recommend doing that always, but, uh, it was just, I was looking for different avenues to how to get the story rolling, uh, smoothly, basically. Uh, so that it wasn't so awkward on screen to watch me struggle. Because <laughs> that is like the it is very difficult to go right in. Okay, so first session, how do you guys know each other? Like I've always a lot of times it's they're asked, "Well, do you want us to already know each other?" You can do that. That's fine. Like with the natural ones, yeah, they started in a tavern, but it was kind of because you know they were from various points in the world. They were here for this uh, for for a festival kind of thing, and then they go, you know, hey, why are those two guys dragging a dead body down the alleyway? Uh, that kind of stuff. But I like, cause it, it was more, yeah, that was the whole kind of, you know, even I went, yeah, you know, stereotypical, we start in a tavern type thing. I now, did it. I tried to avoid it. Ended it, it, up doing it, it anyhow. Now there was one I, that I began where it literally was like you said, the city's under attack kind of thing. Uh, and it just so happened that all of the adventurers were on the same escape vessel that was leaving. Uh, so that's how the, and then that vessel came under attack and they, they kind of were, Forced to forge and unlike, you know, a kind of an alliance type thing, which I, I do like doing that. The, uh, you know, we start surprise problem. You guys are unexpectedly thrown together and you're now you're forced to work together kind of thing, uh, which you occasionally get the one guy that goes, I'm going to jump off the boat. So, well, okay, cool. Your character's dead now. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so the zero session for the second Staganda game was actually like several months worth of work with mm-hmm. everybody. Like it wasn't just a here's our zero session. Yeah. <clears throat> one of the uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that we all kind of knew why we were there, right? And I think the the classic you all meet in a tavern is cool. That's good and all, but if you're gonna do something like that, I really think that everyone should know why they're in there. What brought you to the tavern? Yeah. That's a question I would ask them to begin with. That way, they would have some understanding of what they're doing there. Yeah, yeah I think all of y'all knew. We knew why we were there. Yeah, you knew why you were there and what was going on. Now, some of you also have, like, your reasons for being there uh, have not been revealed yet, too. (laughs) So, My my reasons for being there are, like, an entire series of stories on your Discord, I think. Yep. That got me there. (laughs) And you said it was several months. um, That, our session zero, quote-unquote, lasted for several months because we, we spent so much time building those characters we we y'all worked together for the most part on like backstories y'all kind of talked about what class y'all were going to play but y'all were i think y'all stayed a little secretive as there to, were known and unknown things yeah um, intentionally because you you had us do the the separate uh one-on-ones for a lot of that yeah i think in the future i would like to run a game where the party begins the first session already knowing each other. Yeah. I want to yeah. see how that synergy works. And like, because you could just, you have like inside jokes and things like that. Like, uh, oh yeah, me and, uh, and so-and-so, we have like a little game we play where we try to see who gets the most kills yeah. and stuff like that. A, a lot of games start at level three, right? That's pretty common. I think a good way to manage what you're talking about is run levels one to three, like off camera or whatever, if we're talking about a, a game that's being viewed or whatever. Oh, yeah. Get them to yeah. level three off camera, and then they have that, but the viewer hasn't missed so much of the story that they don't really know what's going on. Yeah. They There's get in when the synergy starts picking built up. Built-in cam- uh, yeah. camaraderie already. Yeah. Again, we it's kind of the, like the pinnacle that people see, Critical Role. 
the whole thing with the Winter's Crest Festival and the uh, the dragon that you know now was on Vox Machina, the animated show, that all happened off screen in Matt's home around his dining room table. Yeah. yeah. We saw the, okay, they're already established. They know each other. And, you know, now we're in the underdark heading into, you know, to go deal with mind, mind flares and such. Yeah. Uh, like, I know with the Natural Ones, this is because technically there is only two original members of the Natural Ones still at the table. Because uh, uh, Jeff's character sw- uh, swapped, but Kieran's motivation, this whole, like, he, it, each of them, there was a reason why they were, like, that brought them to that tavern. Uh, I think, though, because Jeff started playing as, uh, off, started playing off as a tiefling paladin named Oriana, and then he switched from her into Grim, like, halfway through, and we just went, well, you were the... You were another bodyguard, another another bouncer that was working for the tavern, that kind of thing. Yeah. So apparently, none of them knew what freaking you know they couldn't they couldn't know what almonds smelled. It was this whole weird yeah, <laughs> digging there. Karen's over there digging through the uh, the bowl of peanuts, going, "Where are the almonds? Where are the almonds?" Finally, it's 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 a, it's a, it's a poison. It's right there, and he's he's got in his hand. Look, look, you idiot! Look, it's cyanide. <laughs> so like you kind of mentioned something there that's interesting. Uh, Sometimes characters' motivations take them out of the game. Yes, uh, and when that happens, it's it's kind of like it, to keep playing that character past that point. It's kind of like when a TV show goes longer than their story would support. Jumping the shark. <clears throat> yeah. So I I loved playing Butcher when we were playing the game with yep. Butcher, but there was a point to where you know his, his wife was lost. They found his wife. He wouldn't just keep going on adventures without her and leave her yep. home. So I had to set him aside until a time in the story was appropriate for him to need to be with them again to, like, to to help protect things that would affect, you know, his family, which was his number one concern. It's actually kind of, you know, ironic uh, because one of my one of my current players going, hey, when we reach this point in the story, I don't think that my, my character would have motivation to continue past this. I still want to play, but I think their motivations will be filled could I make a new character and be brought into the story. I don't know who that is, but kudos to them. Absolutely, yes. That's... I mean, yeah, I I would be sad to see a, a see a character leave, but at the point in the story, your your story has been fulfilled, your motivations are are wrapped up. Great, yeah, we can we can work something else in. See, that's that's really interesting because it is very impactful. Because in in real life, sometimes people that you love and are close to move in and out of your life. Yes, right. Um, and if you want your stories to have that kind of impact, you have to naturally let that happen in there. And that's playing a character to yeah. me. Being willing to let the character go because you're playing the character, top notch. Right, right there. That is the that's the main thing. Yes, you. We can have so much fun in creating characters and you know emoting and motivating them and getting these awesome stories. But in the end, like any like any story, like any movie, we are playing a character. The character will they have they will go away. Their their story will come to an end. They will leave. And it could be like it could be an untimely, you know, a demise in the game, a failed death save, uh, a you know, a, a a story has been completed. I you know, I don't think my guy would move on. Or it could be, you know, the uh, Vecna has been slain, the eye and hand destroyed. Congratulations, heroes! The story is over. It is, and you know, as much fun as creating characters are, there is a bitter sweetness I actually like more when I can sit back and go, the end. Yeah. That 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 was it. That was my. It's that same exact feeling you get when you've been reading a book yes. that has just held you, you know, for for however long it took you to read it, and you close that cover, and like there's that feeling of God, that was amazing. But there's also that feeling of it's over now. Yeah, 
The same reason I still have not watched the last episode of Supernatural. <laughs> if I watch that episode, the show's it's over, over yeah. and I can't do that. It's like the uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The uh, you know, when when Frodo was taken to the Undying Lands. I don't want a book entitled Lord of the Rings Two: Frodo's Adventures with the Elves. That no, that <laughs> Frodo's story was told, and I, I love the fact that even you know in the book and in the movie that is that's kind of seen as okay, my story is ended. Here, Sam, write your story. Because uh, that's the thing: when one story stops, that means a new story can begin. When the first Stagande game ended, that allowed the second Stagande game to come around. There is always that there's that potential for the future. When one character ends, that leaves room for a new character. I know like there are, there are characters I would love to bring back, but their stories have been told. I may You may see them as an NPC or something, but the character itself is, uh, is resting in the annals of history. Their stories have been told. They, they can rest. I think it's good to see a, a a retired character story continue as an NPC. Yeah. Like occasionally that touches the story you're in currently, if it's applicable. Yeah. I looked at that as uh, in relation to my story. Um, that is a single chapter closed in an entire saga. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so kind of circling back a little bit to our, our topic, um, what is, what's some advice that you would give to new players that are struggling to develop uh, their backstories? Because backstories is an essential part to designing a character, especially for a long form campaign. My my uh, my tricks, my tips, and things that I use personally is I try to be as general as possible with certain things. Because if if you focus too much on your details and your backstory, you're locked into certain things that may not work as well as you want them to. You know, I I came from a small village that was destroyed by a great catastrophe. The DM could work with that a lot. There's a lot of movement as opposed to I came from a village in the I came from this specifically named village. Uh, it was destroyed by an earthquake, and there was all this. And the DM's like, well, "This, uh, how can I?" There, it's I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. Uh, crap, Brody, you gave me a hard question. Uh, <laughs> the you, it's a it's malleable as opposed to being set in exactly stone. yes because uh, like I said I I am more of the I let I let the story mold my motivation I have my I have usually a an idea or a a single uh, if we were writing I have my theme my my one sentence topic but then as the story progresses that's where I'll build and mold and change things that combination lock that, locking yes. in when, and there when there are some decisions. times where if I go one direction I don't like this. Let me pull it. And you actually saw that with Artie where he became kind of more like more aggressive. And all of a sudden I was like, nah, that doesn't feel right to yeah. me. So in the story, I found a way to bring that back to that mm-hmm. that art. And it was great. It made it I great. do like that you addressed that in the story. Yeah. Though. When that happened, Artie actually responded to it. He's like, I don't like this part yeah. of me. I don't want to touch that anymore. And it, it allowed for a moment that, you know, okay, well, there is this darkness in the character now that he's fighting against and he's trying to be, and it, it, that added a whole new level to this to the character. So the best advice I can give for somebody like I really like trying to come up with original motivations and, you know, perspectives that make my character. But for somebody that that's not really their thing, um, a shortcut. You find a character in media, um, let's say House, right? Hugh Laurie from House. Um, This is similar to the character I want to play. Then you take that, his backstory, his motivations, things like that, and you just say the guy you're playing is a bounty hunter, but he kind of has a prerogative like House. So then you take that and you just turn that a little bit to make it fit your character. 
If you're not somebody that wants to just rewrite the most original thing every time, you can do that, and that's perfectly fine. Now, we are not saying blatantly rip off a character, because I, story time, one of my first early 5e games I played in, there was an individual, and this was well before the Blood Hunter class came out, that he wanted to he wanted to play the Witcher. Not a character similar to the Witcher. Yeah. Not a character based on he would literally his name was Geralt of Rivia, and he would introduce himself with I'm the Witcher. No, I I, I do not I don't like the inspiration. We're inspiration. talking about inspiration. inspiration. Yes. Using inspiration. <laughs> not plagiarism. Not take plagiarism. Those, take those ideas and then put a twist on them. Because if you don't put a twist on them, it's just someone else's idea. Yes. Uh, I like to, whenever I'm going into a game as a player instead of the DM, is uh, what is the theme of this game? Yeah. Like, what is the setting that usually informs what I'm gonna, what kind of character I'm gonna make? Uh, for instance, I'm playing in a game right now that's called Echoes of the First World, and it has a lot to do with dragons and how uh, you know creation and and uh, stuff like that. So, I made a kobold who is, uh, that wasn't my original character. The original character I made, I wasn't really happy with where it was going. So I, I made, asked if I could make yeah. a new one. So the other character exited the story and then my new one came in, which is also perfectly fine too. If you set out yep. to play a yes. character yep. and you don't like how it's being played, you can just ask and be like, Hey, I, I don't like the way this character is going. Can I play something new? And most DMS are like, yeah, sure. Whatever. But um, like I, I, I've had one where they they didn't like the character, but instead of coming and going, hey, can we change? They just kept trying to get themselves killed off in game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking about Montel. I'm not talking about Montel. Uh, but it was it was a different. It was a GURPS game where they didn't like what they were doing, and instead of going, hey man, can we change some things, which you can do very easily in GURPS, they were just trying to get themselves killed, and it was it. Now, I have had that happen to me before in a very early Aliens game. <laughs> I had a player that was like, I don't like this character that I'm playing. Can I die? And I said, absolutely. Yes. I will give Super you the most epic setting. death I can. And he did. He got impaled on a tail, got lifted up by the tail, and oh, as he was dying, pulls out his handgun and shoots an explosive barrel and just ignites the whole place. Uh, it's pretty epic. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> that wasn't you, actually. I was. You I was like. Me. I was like. I'm, I had a character that did something similar to that, but I don't remember <laughs> the tail part. Uh, but yeah, like uh, theme is also pretty important to um, look at when yeah. in terms of like designing yeah. your character. Yeah, you don't want a super grim, dark guy in like a haha funny type campaign. Yes, I. <laughs> or maybe you do. Maybe maybe you need a you know, stairs and Draven. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's perfect. He's he fits perfectly there. Well, let's see, because I, I actually go to the uh the the stereotypical, you know, the rogue. I am in I sit in the corner of the tavern, very dark and brooding. I stare, My parents are dead. My parents are dead. I killed them myself at birth. I stare dark and broodingly at everyone that walks by. Okay, well, the guys are over there having a card game uh with the the you know the the, the plot hook. Would you like to go join them? No, I stare and sullenly stare at them. Okay, they're leaving now to save the town. What are you doing? I I stare at them. <laughs> I stare at them. And much like my dark backstory, I take a sip from my dark beer. Okay, dude, you're yeah, you're just 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 stay stay there. You're, the tavern is on fire. The tavern is on fire. You have fun, yeah. Uh my the but my my final my, my final tip and uh, you know kind of would be be open to your character. Don't don't wall them off. Don't 
don't be afraid to let, again, to, to take them a direction where if you don't like the direction, you can go, okay, I don't like this. Let's pull back to where I was and try something else. Uh, you know, if you have a great deal, we can talk in this kind of talk about that, to, but don't be afraid to, don't be set in your way with your character. Don't, don't go, well, this is my character. It has to be this way. You know, I'm the witcher and nobody else can be. No, don't, don't do that. Be open to be, it's like, it's like a real person, you know, it's like in life. If, if your personality is very, just like standoffish and you don't want to change and you're, you're just, you don't want to, you know, be affected by anything. It's a dull life. It's a dull, you're a dull person. I'm sorry. A, a real person is someone who is very open to things, who like, who is open to change and this kind of, you know, to let, let their own personalities and motivations be influenced. I'm kind of talking about myself here in a way, be influenced by the world around you. I think that also is best translated into, into a role-playing game. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Any <laughs> other final tips, tricks, uh, words of advice for, for any players out there, guys? I'm sure there's a lot that we're forgetting that we just didn't cover. There's a ton, I mean, this is a yeah, huge topic. A, there's a ton more we could cover and go into. But for this podcast today, <laughs> yes, I think we've gotten pretty close to yes. our, our time limit. I, I really didn't. We just want to be for clerics. The best race to play for a cleric is a dwarf. As dwarves are high in constant. No, you don't. No, I didn't want to do that. That's I mean, no. There are tons of podcasts out there, but we want to give them more like flavor kind of than the actual. But yeah. So um, with with that, I think we're gonna close the book on the character creation. Uh, and you know, it took it, hey, it took us less than an hour to get through character creation. That's amazing. That's a record. <laughs> Nobody died doing character creation either. It's a good day. <laughs> so uh, for playing with advantage, I am Kenneth Moffat. And I'm James at the Hive. I'm Brody Elder Fenris. Just want to say thank you guys so very, very much for supporting us. If you haven't, uh, wherever you listen to us, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, please like, rate us, uh, follow us on the various platforms we're on. Again, go check out Stagande. Uh, go check out The Natural Ones on my YouTube as well. Uh, if you're online, go check out The Hive, their Facebook. They've got a, an amazing website up, uh, set up. Uh, thank you guys so very, very much. Without you, the listeners, we could not do this. It'd just be a bunch of us talking to each other. You know, that just gets boring after a while. Uh, so yeah, thank you all so very, very much. And also I'm going to take a moment to give a quick shout out and say thank you to our amazing production team, the audio orc, the tech goblin, our production warlock. They are the ones who get this, get this show up. They get it sounding amazing. They put up with us as we have to restart the show four different times. Uh, without those three people, this literally would not be possible. So Matt, Ashley, Mike, thank you guys so very, very much. And no matter what happens, you are heroes of legends to us. Thank you. With that, I'm going to say in this time of year, be good to each other. You only get one shot. Later, folks. Later, folks.